0: Thanks for tuning in to episode three of the Dragons Y'all Recap Podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host along with Angelica and Ryan. As you know, the show goes as follows. Angelica is our moderator who creates an outline discussion of the episode and breaks it all down for us. And myself and Ryan give our feedback, our two cents, on what we thought of each of the scenes and do a nice deep dive of the episode that you just saw tonight under the dragons y'all hashtag live tweeting with us on twitter so let's get ready to talk about episode three second of his name for tuning in to episode three of the dragons y'all podcast recap show my name is jamie i'm your host and i also have our host angelica and ryan here hey y'all hey so we're gonna dive right into episode three angelica you gotta help me here what's the name of this episode second of his name second of his name. All right. Let's let's get right into it. I've had fun live tweeting this one tonight, so let's talk about <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> let's talk about it. Well, let's um let's step back to last week's episode because I know um we weren't able to enjoy the main title sequence because it wasn't in our screeners, but upon watching episode 2, um, what was it the rogue prince we got the main title sequence so I kind of want to get into that for a little bit if you guys don't mind so um, the main title sequence basically reused the main title theme from Game of Thrones uh, which was scored by Robin Jawadi were you guys happy about them reusing that music or would you have preferred
0: a new theme I think if they had used a new theme people would have been in their feelings about it like it would, it probably would have been a 50/50 thing. If people would have yeah. either really liked it or people would have hated it. It would have been very black and white in my opinion. But I'm fine with the original theme. It's just it's nostalgic. It it pretty much connects us to the original to the to the universe that takes place 200 years later which as it should So that continuity makes sense to me. I mean, you know, at the beginning when they were talking about House of the Dragon, they're like, don't compare it to Game of Thrones. It's a different kind of show. And of course we shouldn't, but at the same time, there's still that connective tissue between the two shows and the two universes. So why not use that same theme song and music to House of the Dragon? It makes sense for me. So I didn't have any issues with it at all.
2: Yeah, I think they're going to have, yes, I feel like they're always going to be connected somehow, so you kind of have to have that, like Jamie said, that nostalgia that brings you back, like you like hearing it, you're like, okay, I'm back in that, you know, sort of GOT world. Um, This to me, though, like when I first heard The Game of Thrones, I thought it was a good theme song, but I always felt it was so long, maybe because I just wanted to get to the action, but... (laughs) now it's weird I don't I can't even explain it. it's like now seeing it on House of the Dragon it doesn't feel that bad to me it's like I'm sitting there looking at it like I'm looking at the names like I don't already know like the cast people like kind of watching it scroll through but yeah when I was watching Game of Thrones I was like dude can we like skip this part so I can figure out like you know what Little Finger's about to do next like hurry up roll the episode but it's like I don't know it just feels different on House of the Dragon so I was here for it. Could I just jump in and say I just feel like you
0: are of such a different generation than me because I'm used to <laughs> back in the day when there were like long extended theme songs to TV shows, sitcoms. You know, I came from the Dallas and the Dynasty area uh, era, when they, the you know yeah. they had the yeah they had the long intros. So I'm used to that, but it's just funny how like because yeah, like most of our TV shows just have like a title card and then like, you know, yep. smash cut to the first scene. So
1: yeah, different times now. Yeah, I thought it was funny because, you know, even now when you stream, it says you can skip the, you know, the theme, the opening. I n- I don't skip it for Game of Thrones, but I thought it was hilarious. I was watching um Blackish on Disney Plus and it's like, skip, skip intro. And I'm like, for what? It's literally two seconds. <laughs> so anyways, I am I, going to, yeah, I'm going to get off that. But anyways, so um the it was a choice by the showrunners to keep the same general sound alive so it's I mean it's the same universe it's very Marvel-esque like when every Marvel film opens up it has that same like dun 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 and you kind of like yeah I'm ready so I imagine that I th- perhaps maybe all of the spin-offs will kind of go with that same vibe and just keep the keep the theme the theme song at least the thing and then obviously the actual sequences are different so let's get into this main title sequence so we know we don't have a map of Westeros obviously because we're in the same place but we do have King Viserys model of old Valeria. that's what it looks like at least to me um and there's an insignia and each insignia within this model represents a different Targaryen so it's essentially like a family tree and it follows the order of succession until it's split with the current ruling family, so it splits from the series to Daemon to Rhaenyra, and then it also includes House Velaryon and House Hightower The blood itself, and I, I loved your tweet about that, um, Jamie on Black Girl Geeks. are like this theme is or this opening is bloodier than Carrie's prom. I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> yeah I was like "Ooh, this is cringy it was very bloody but yeah the blood represents um the Targaryen words which is fire and blood but it also represents you know their desire to maintain the their their purity of their line so there's there's some hidden context there um I don't know if I'll ever take the time to like stop and pause and read each insignia but I thought it was pretty cool so I enjoyed the I enjoyed it. Not as much as I loved the original Game of Thrones opening uh, sequence, but this was still nice um so moving on house of the dragon did get renewed for a second season but we have some sad news uh showrunner miguel Sapochnitz is going to step down um he still has a deal with hbo to develop other projects but he's been working on this for three years and he's you know we all know he was involved with game of thrones for a long time so he's taking a step back and kind of focusing on other things um brian condo is going to remain as the show run as the co-showrunner and then alan taylor who's actually another game of thrones vet will remain will take miguel's place so how do you guys feel about that
2: um i think oh go ahead jimmy oh no i'll, I'll just keep my i'll keep my short and sweet i was just gonna say i think that it's sad to see him go because you know you want to keep the the same team you start with um but i mean i think that's one of the advantages you know of working in this world you get so many opportunities um like i saw he has that deal with hbo now where he can create other content you know that he might want to kind of branch out a little bit and you know they brought um alan taylor in so it's not like it's coming into like somebody fresh and brand new that people aren't that doesn't know the world so i think it's going to be like a it's it's cool on both ends but you know it's always going to be sad because you want to keep like the same team going forward
0: yep agreed. i agreed um yeah i mean i saw ryan condall at comic-con and he's sort of the brains behind the show yep. as well. So as long as he's on board, I'm not worried because, you know, when you ever hear, you hear a showrunner stepping down, you're like, uh-oh, what's going on? Uh, but it sounds right. like Miguel is, you know, working on other projects. So it's not something where there's creative differences or there's drama on set. He's just, you know, stepping down from a team of people that are already heavily involved and um you know ryan has worked very closely with george throughout the process of of creating this series so as long as he is still a key player behind this i am fine with you know this news i mean all the best to miguel i I feel like this if anything is probably good news for him that he's got these other opportunities with hbo
1: Absolutely agreed. And and like you said, we're still in good hands with Ryan Condo and then Alan Taylor also being part of the Got universe. I think we're in good hands. And then George is still very close to the project. So I think we'll be okay, guys. Um <laughs> uh, so before we get into the episode and your thoughts on the current episode, I just wanted to touch on Twitter. Um just the biggest takeaway I got from our live tweet was people had a really, really strong reaction to Lena. Uh, supposedly, you know, being put up to marry Viserys. People were
2: upset, which, y'all, and I saw Ryan was live-tweeting as well, so. Wow, I, was so. There. I, was I was there, them. y'all. I woke up, I was like, I was there live-tweeting. Yeah, people was mad about that one. Well, I, I get it, I get it, y'all. She's 12, they don't need to be doing it. But you know, you know how this world, you know how this world rolls. But yeah, they were, they were going in on it, as they should be, you know. It's gonna, it's gonna get a reaction. Yep.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, it, it was it was funny because, Angelica, you pointed out that one of my tweets got picked up by some media outlets. And out of all the tweets to pick up, they they picked up my dusty old white man tweet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> dusty old white man
0: preying on this beautiful black child. <laughs> you know, I mean. So I thought it was funny, but, you know, nice, of course, nice. there, there, were, there were people that were not happy. They were like, identity politics or that was racist. So I was like, okay. Whatever. Oh,
1: you guys. Whatever. Yeah, some of them were slightly sidetracking, but someone got on me. They said I was racist because I said Masaria's accent was bad. And I was like, But it is. Like this accent of a a made up character from a made up land, it's not believable. There's plenty of people from Essos with good accents. This is not one of them. So that was like a whole a whole situation. People are passionate about the show, which means it's a good thing. Because that it means it's 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 going well. So We'll leave it at that. I mean, do you guys, real quick, do you guys think Masaria has a terrible accent?
0: It's funny. I actually have seen other people tweeting that uh, about her accent. And, well, I didn't pick up on it until seeing the tweets that her accent didn't really seem, like, it did seem kind of off. So, yeah, yeah, um, it does kind of come off as, like, this kind of phony you know, Eastern European accent as opposed to anything that's really authentic. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's different.
1: (laughs) She sounds like Franck from Father of the Bride. Like, it's just a weird mashed up accent. I'm just like, mm, sis, you got to work on that. But love the actress just not feeling her accent. Maybe it'll get better with time. But anyways, let's let's get in. We talked about the last episode enough. Uh, thanks to me. Let's talk about this episode's second of his name. What are your guys's first thoughts upon watching this episode?
2: I'm playing devil advocate for this, for this episode, because I I actually, I actually kind of like some of Damon's moments in this, in this episode, and that's probably never gonna happen again, so people better soak it up, write it down right now, Um, because I like some of the stuff he did, but yeah, um, and I just like the whole Becerys, Damon kind of thing they had going on throughout the whole episode, Um, you know, shout out to his weird looking dragon blood worm in the beginning, you know, give us that craziness off the top, Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's just one of those episodes where you kind of still trying to get the feel of everybody. So it wasn't one of those words. Where it's like, oh, this is my favorite episode ever. But it, it did like kind of describe a lot of the the characters and everything a little bit more. So, yeah.
1: OK. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of action until like the last 10 minutes. Um, Jamie, how did you feel about this episode?
0: Actually, I disagree. I think there was a lot more action in this one because um, you got action in the very beginning of the episode. And, right. True, true. Yeah. And then there, And then the action also picked up at the end. And there's a lot of drama. Uh, that's obviously yes. going on with Viserys and naming the air and all of that stuff. And the hand kind of, Otto's trying to do his his little his little finger thing. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed it. It actually, the, the pacing on this episode matches the pacing in episode one. Because I also noticed that there was some feedback from fans that episode two was a little bit slower in terms mm-hmm. of pacing. Um, but, you know, that that's fine because they're still doing some story building here, but this one, the pacing was a lot uh, better and, um, I enjoyed it and I, I was all for it. I mean, I'm so far, as far as the pacing of this entire series and the first three episodes that we've seen so far, they're doing a really good job. Like I, I, am even just going through the, the years, um, of, of aging and, and, in the characters, the timeline, I, I just think that they're doing a good job of, uh, of scoping that out for us. So
1: Okay, dope. And then um and I don't know if you noticed um but how you had compared Otto to Littlefinger, which I think we've all been doing, but they call him Middlefinger. So (laughs) I thought that was a a hilarious nickname, you know, Otto Middlefinger Hi Tiger. Oh
0: my gosh, I'm gonna use that on Twitter. Yeah somebody got to use that (laughs) I'm stealing
1: that. So I thought that was that was funny. And then I love how Twitter um, calls Damon Day Day and Rhaenyra Ray Ray. So it's just Black Twitter is just off the chain. So anyways. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I enjoyed the episode as well. So, you know, we're going to open up with this episode. We're back at the beach this time. Uh, once again, not a beach you want to be on. It's nighttime. There's a ton of ships burned at the hands of the Crad Feather, who was played by Daniel Scott Smith. And, you know, him and his man- men are gathering the spoils of war. I just want to put like a brief side note. So you notice I had mentioned, I think in the first episode, that the crab feeder was wearing a mask that reminded me of the Sons of the Harpy. Well, it was actually confirmed or at least brought up on a few different podcasts that the mask that he's wearing is very similar to the mask worn by the Sons of the Harpy, who obviously weren't established until like 200 years later. But the masks are derived from the Giscari people of Essos and they represent the harp the mask itself represents the golden harpy of geese and the people of geese are essentially the the black people that were enslaved and later freed themselves so it's like there's a whole like you know geese pride behind these masks that's why the sons of the harpy kind of use it because it's like almost like almost like compared to like the haitian uprising it's meant to be like a revolutionary mask um and they're saying that the the crab feeder isn't really on that side, but he found the mask, like, washed up ashore, and he used it to cover up his grayscale, which is what people think he has. A lot of people, like, zoomed in on his scars, and they say it looks just like the the scars that um, Jorah Mormont had when he was infected with grayscale. So, who knows? Um, but I thought that was cool, how they had that little Easter egg. So, um A sailor is being nailed to Driftwood by the crab feeder and he's screaming in pain. But while he's screaming in pain, he's also talking like mad-ish. He's like, the sea snake is going to have your head for this. Like, F you, F your whore mom, F your bastard father. And, you know, the crab feeder don't care. He's nailing him to this Driftwood and he's throwing some crabs on him. You know, like, all right, bye. So Damon appears from out of nowhere. He's in the back of Caraxes and he's like range dragon fire on all these um, triarchy men. And the sailor, the one that was talking all that mess, he's rejoicing. He's like, yes. My prince, save me! And like in true God fashion, the sailor gets like squished by caraxes as he lands. And I'm like,
2: dang, dude, can't catch a break. Yeah, that was that was cold blooded. I was like, dang, that was cold blooded. That was cold blooded. I thought he was gonna get saved. I thought they, I thought they was gonna help him out. I laughed during that scene. Was that wrong? Like, I, I just thought it was kind no, of so funny. It is kind of funny. It funny. It's like that's that's real <laughs> cold blooded. It is, is kind of funny though. <laughs> And did,
0: I mean, did you guys get a sense that maybe that's a symbol of, that was symbolic of, like, Damon's arrogance? Like, he's not there to really save anybody. It's just him yeah, and his ego. Yeah. And that that's what the stomping of the guy represents.
1: No, I, I, I didn't go that deep, but that that's pretty uh, observant of you. <laughs> and it was funny. Like, he's like, oh, save me. Ah, squish. And I was like, dang. Damn. And- Dang, I was like, he gonna be in the fourth episode. All right, cool. Yeah, no, no sense in rooting for that guy. So anyway, mm-hmm. all this dragon fire, all this, you know, the crab feeder, he retreats into the instant nearby caves with his men. So Damon's like, come on, crab feeder, come out. I'm gonna feed you to your own crabs. Um, so, you know, he's circling. Archers end up popping up out of nowhere. They shoot fiery arrows towards Caraxes. And so that, you know, Damon decides to get a dodge. Um, so I was like, okay some action there um guys have any thoughts on that outside of laughing at the poor sailor getting squished i
2: don't know i just think it's cool i mean craxus is crazy just like naming so or Day. so you know he gonna match his owner so every time he comes on the scene i'm like oh god just get up out the way like if you think you're gonna live that day just just try to run as fast as you can i don't know what to tell them but it's just like crazy the way they bring these dragons into these fight scenes because you know it's just all over unless it's like a dragon to dragon fight you just know they just about to light like, everybody up and then just see what happens especially Damon. So yeah, that was, it was interesting. I just
0: appreciate this show taking so much detail into these dragons. Like the dragons all look different from each other. You know, you Mm -hmm. can obviously distinct Caraxes from like Cyrax. And of course we're going to be seeing more dragons in the future in which, Game of Thrones didn't really care about the dragons like that. Like, they all kind of <laughs> look the same. So I just really appreciate the detail of these dragons on this show. Mm-hmm. And um, it even seems like they stepped it up CGI-wise uh, with the dragons, yeah. too. So, yeah.
1: Oh, really? I saw mad people complaining about the CGI this season and saying, or the series saying, like, the dragons aren't don't look as good as the dragons from Game of Thrones. And I was like... Are we watching the same show? Okay, okay, um, but yeah, I like I, I agree with you that they really distinguish the dragons. Like Caraxes is like they they call him the bloodworm. He's this long, red thing, and then Cyrex is. You know, a golden dragon, and then there's like Dreamfire and Sunfire, who's supposed to be the most beautiful dragon of all. So I am definitely looking forward to seeing all these different, you know, personalities. And maybe the reason why Daenerys' dragons look the same is because they probably came from the same mother. Um, there, there were three eggs that were stolen, like three hatchlings. So that's probably why. But yeah, definitely, I'm digging the dragons this season for sure. So um there is an apparent time jump. So we don't know this at the opening of the episode, but it's been about 3 years. Um we now see Alicent, um first son Aegon II. He's named obviously after Aegon the Conqueror. He's already two. Um there's this big old feast. Alicent is pregnant, Viserys is there with the rest of the court and they are loving on little Aegon. Like the court is just like, "Oh, he's just so cute." So, Otto and his older brother, Hobart Hightower, I guess we'll call him the older older middle finger, um, played by Stefan Rodri, they're watching everything from afar, and Hobart notes that, you know, Aegon is well-loved, and he's past the dangers of infancy, he's two years old now, so it's now likely that he will live on, um, and that the king may name him as heir. but Otto's like, I really don't see the series naming Aegon heir over Rhaenyra, so... Hobart's like, well, that's your job. Like, you need to make him see the light. Let him know. So it seems like Otto pressures Allison, but then Hobart pressures Otto. So I thought that was an interesting dynamic. What do you guys think?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that was a great moment between Otto and um, and, and Hobart because he was like, really, Otto, I feel like he he's trying – He's in that thing where he he wants to make sure everybody is happy. But at the same time, he still wants to make sure that the politics are correct, too. So he does like when I say happy, he doesn't want to ruffle feathers. So he doesn't want to disappoint Viserys and be like too aggressive with, you know, the whole air conversation but, um, you know, obviously, Hobart's like, like, dude, you, you, you got to bring this up to him. Like, this is a conversation that you guys have to have. So that was a very interesting moment where he kind of put him in his place as hand of the king, because that that's really essentially kind of his job is to, to counsel him on very important matters such as this. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a pretty fascinating moment to to watch. Yep, I mean, he is his older brother, so <laughs> he's like,
1: do your job, boy. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I enjoy that exchange for once seeing Otto put in his place. Um, so, we actually end up getting our first Lannister sighting. Um, Thailand Lannister, uh, who's played by Jefferson Hall, he's on the small council and he's the master of ships. He rushes in, he has news of the step zones. The Crabfeeder feeder has taken Bloodstone, and the men are sabotaging their fleets. Viserys doesn't seem to be very interested in this news. He's like, look, it's been three years. The matter of the Stepstones can wait three more days. And he, like, goes off to eat, basically, (laughs) um, because they're ready to depart for the hunt. That's in Aegon's honor. Um, And he's like, hey, where's Rhaenyra? So Tylan's not having it. He persists. He's like, look, persists. He's like, since the crab feeder and his men are retreating into caves, the dragons aren't really much use. We're losing cell swords. You know they've withdrawn from the fight. We've suffered heavy casualties. Damon's overworking his men. They're beginning to question his leadership. You know this is the perfect time for the crown to intervene. And then Otto, you know, true to his nature, steps in and says, "Corliss and Damon started this war without the king's leave. So if the crown were to intervene at this point, it you know he's going to appear weak." Um. And yeah, Viserys just like yep. And then he's like. Where's Rhaenyra? Um So clearly, you know, the series, he's never taken the stepstones in the war out there very seriously. I don't know exactly why. Maybe he just, he thinks it's so far off where it's unimportant to him. And he, I guess he's going to let his brother just deal with it. So yeah, so he's asking for Rhaenyra. So Rhaenyra... You know she's in her favorite place in the world at this point. She's at the Godswood. She's reading a book while a bard sings the same song over and over and over. Um, and the song that he sings is actually the tale of Nymeria and her thousand ships, which is another spinoff series in the works. Um, Allison appears that you know appears and, as you know she's looking for her, and there's a change in their power dynamic at this point. Um, Rhaenyra basically ignores Allison and she asks the bard to keep playing. Allison, as the queen, orders the bard to leave the godswood, which he does because the queen outranks the heir apparent. Um, so he, he you know, gets out of there. And Allison says, you know, your father wants us to j- wants you to join us for the hunt. Um, Rhaenyra really isn't feeling it. She's like, you know, is this uh, order from the king? And she's like, yep. And she's like, OK, your highness, here I am. Here I come. And Alison was like, it doesn't have to be this way between us. None of it has to be like this. Um, so you can tell at this point that their friendship is definitely a dub. Um, so what did you guys take away from this interaction?
2: Yeah, I think this, I still got my aunt on Allison. You know, she, 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 she worked the game. Now I see her. I was like, I see you. Okay. Got the fun, got the first, uh, sun air and everything like that. But yeah, no, you, you can definitely tell it's something going down with her and Renera now. And that was just like that, that last little straw. Um, you can tell, um, like, Renaire, just trying to stay as far away as possible. She's just like, if I'm just not there, I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to be around them. Um, and just, yeah, which you kind of feel bad a little bit too, cause they were BFFs. Like it, it's, it's kind of like, it's a double-edged sword. Cause it's like, now this is like your new, like, you know, stepmom in a sense, but she was your BFF and it's like weird. So... And she's also like worried about like, is there any moment? Cause you know, obviously they don't want a, a woman be in the air. So it's like at any moment, can this get taken away from me? So yeah, I feel for Renair And this is like a lot of emotions going through her head. I can't imagine um, like with everything that's surrounding her, but I don't know. I think Alicent just kind of got to keep a distance cause that's, that's like, that's sticky territory to me, but we'll see how it goes. Viserys, I think that again,
0: like him being King is not his strong suit. So he's clearly a man that doesn't like to deal with conflict. And yeah. and, and, and that's the problem, right? I mean, you, you have to deal with conflict. You are a king. You have to make decisions, dude. So he, he really is being evasive on purpose because he just doesn't want to deal with it. And um, that, that's why he is, you know, not only appearing weak, but he, he really is weak. And now Corliss has kind of stepped in and, and Damon, they like you said, they, they've started this war uh, with the king's leave and, and Corliss is now behind the king's back doing dirt with Damon. So this is what happens when people see that you appear weak and that you have basically no authority or really kind of don't know what you're doing when you are in a position of authority. So it's it's unfortunate that the king is kind of taking this matter as a very trivial matter when it's not. Um, so the, the, the respect is definitely diminishing amongst his council. Um, and then as far as the power dynamic between Rhaenyra and Alicent, it it is sad that their friendship is pretty much kind of done for at this point. I I feel bad for Rhaenyra who was just blindsided by what happened. I mean, she really did not see that coming. Um, Alison, I'm with you, Ryan. She's still, you know, still giving her the side eye for what she did. Um, (laughs) even though I know her father put her up to it, I still feel like Mm -hmm. you didn't, you didn't, you didn't try to exactly resist. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, um, she, now that she's in this position, she's just kind of having to deal with. Now this is this is the choice that you made, and and you've compromised a friendship because of it. So it kind of is what it is. But um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I did find too that the part where she's with the bard and he's, <laughs> you know, she wants him to play the song over and over again. I find that to be a funny scene that that's her way of coping. I, I mean, I don't know if she's depressed or, you know, how she's dealing with this, but the way she's dealing with it is like, you know, listening to the same song over and over and over again. I just, I find that. She got that the bard really. on
1: repeat. Yeah, she got the bard on repeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I, I i feel like, I guess I feel like I can identify with that um, to some extent because, you know, when I'm feeling down, I'm like playing the same sad song over and over again. So that, that was a moment.
1: So, yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, Well, maybe it's helpful that like Nymeria is this like great leader who kind of takes off with her people in a thousand ships and sails to lands unknown. So maybe she's like, I wish I could be that person and escape. So maybe that's why she finds comfort in that song. Um, but I want to take up for my girl, Allison, because y'all been going in on her. OK, y'all been going hard on her and I. I was watching it inside the episode and the actress that plays Emily Carey was saying that, you know, she doesn't really believe that Allison has ulterior motives. Of course, she's doing as what she's told by her father, but she really finds comfort in the series and like their courtship or their union really is to a degree born out of love because he finds comfort in her. And then she out of the kind, no, she says it's out of kindness that she went to comfort him, you know, grieving the loss of his wife. And then he feels at home with her, and vice versa.
2: So I'm just saying, y'all might be a little bit too hard on mm. my girl, Emily. Don't try to play me, Emily. No, I'm just no. saying she's trying to play I'm me. Just I, see I see it. I see no. I, I see mean, it. she I could have know. told
0: she could have told Raniere that she was having these meetings with her dad. Mm-hmm. But her
2: dad was
1: like, "Don't say nothing." You know, ultimately, like why are we mad at Allison and we not mad at Viserys
0: for marrying his daughter? Oh, we say mad at Viserys. Like, he, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, the you the know, series. he's like, he's a weak king anyway. So yeah, we. we. Yeah. Yeah. we ain't on team Viserys here
1: no <laughs> okay y'all just like y'all just turned to Allison into like Keisha off of power you know how much I can stand Keisha um, all right I got you all right Let, moving right along so um, yeah so they're all in the wheelhouse on the way to the hunt and Viserys is like isn't this great the family's together we're on this road trip we're gonna go hunting and Rhaenyra just you can tell she wants to be anywhere but there Um, But, you know, despite all this, you know, it's a rough ride. And she actually asked Allison, like, should you really be traveling in this condition? And she's like, no, it's okay. You know, being out in nature is going to be helpful. And Viserys is like, you know, you're going to have children one day and make me a proud grandfather, grandsire, as he said. And then Allison, you know, this is kind of a fun moment because, you know, uh, Rhaenyra starts to smile a bit. And then Allison's like. Kind of sticks her foot in her mouth and says, you know, Aegon came pretty quickly without much fuss. And I'm like, chick, read the room. Like, Rhaenyra's mother died from childbirth. And before that, she had horrible pregnancies, difficult pregnancies. Talking about, oh, yeah, it's going to be easy. Like, I'm pretty sure Rhaenyra isn't going to have, like, a cakewalk having kids, so... I was like this chick she's trying so hard to make smooth things over between her and Rhaenyra but it's it's not working so um Viserys wants Rhaenyra to ride out with him on the hunt she's like eh, I'm good on that you know when the prey gets slaughtered they sound like children it's like really discomforting for me and then Viserys is like well what do you want to do like what can you do to participate in? you're the heir you have responsibilities and she's like, "Yup, y'all keep telling me this over and over. And it's just, uh, you know, even though this is 200 years, you know, no, uh, oh, not even 200 years. In the medieval times, in a, diff- in a fantasy world, you know, you can still see the dynamic between a father and his teenage daughter. Like, they're going back and forth. And he's like, you know, I wouldn't have to keep reminding you of responsibility if you're around more. And she says, like, no one's here for me. Like... <laughs> No one's here for me. And I felt that. Like, I was like, oh, Rhaenyra, I feel that. Like, Aegon's here. He's, like, loved. And, like, she's just not feeling the love from anyone. Um, so how do you guys think she feels? Or do you think that's, that's, that's true, that she doesn't feel like anyone's here for her?
2: Um, Rhaenyra sometimes, to me, like, she has a lot of, like, you know, she got that fire, that, that, that feistiness. But sometimes to me i'm always like maybe you i don't know i feel like she tries to cut too many corners sometimes where i'm like not like i necessarily think she has to be married has to have a baby like they want her to um because she is supposed to be the heir and you know the men that are trying to that you know that i know we're getting to that might try to quarter or whatever like that they're not going to look at it as like hey this is my queen i need to respect her in that way because it's the time period that we're in but sometimes i'm like well there are certain responsibilities to become in the air that i feel like she tries to skip maybe too quick and it's like you kind of have to play i feel like you got to play the game a little bit because they already don't think like there's certain things you can't do they always like gonna assume you can't do it because you're a woman so i feel like there's certain things that she has to kind of like you know check off some boxes and i'm not saying she can't put her own little spin on it um because you got to do what you got to do but i feel like she can't always be like no i'm not i'm just not gonna do that i'm just gonna sit out in the garden i'm just gonna read Um, It's all cool. It's good. It's like, nah, I mean, it don't work like that. Like you are going to be the heir to the throne. So you got to make sure, you know, you're keeping check of like what's going on. You know, Viserys, you got to pick up some things that he's doing, not doing, that you don't want to go down the same path. And I feel like she could kind of watch him like a little bit more to kind of be like, okay, maybe I need to run things like this because she's smart. Like she has these ideas, but I'm worried that she sometimes kind of skirts around like the framework or what it means to be on the throne in a sense. Cause it's not like Vasirius is like doing a whole bunch. I mean, he just chasing her down like you need to get married. So it's like I'm worried that she's missing some of the notes that she needs to be that queen, you know, coming forward because she's got the fire and like the in the feistiness and the smarts, but she's got to put it in the right direction. Is what I think sometimes.
1: Okay, I could dig it. That that's pretty insightful. Uh, Jamie, you have any thoughts? I mean,
0: first of all, she's a teenager, I believe, at this point. <laughs> yeah, so, she's seventeen. Yeah, so. Teenagers are naturally rebellious, whether they're in her situation or not. Um, so I, that that's forgivable for me, but also it's warranted. I mean, she really has been rejected. She's been rejected by her own father. Um, her father has betrayed her by marrying her, or yeah, by marrying and impregnating her best friend, <laughs> um, and and she's lost her mother. So she's right now in a place where she just feels isolated. She's upset that she is not going to be the heir to the throne. Yeah. She's heir apparent, but it's very clear that now with Aegon, um, born and now two years of age and everybody's surrounding him. That's another thing. Everybody's celebrating his second birthday and they're so excited. And, you know, she's feeling a little rejected. And, um, I, I feel like all of her feelings and emotions at this point are completely warranted. So, that with being a teenager, with dealing with a father who's kind of not there, and also isn't being completely forthcoming with, you know, being honest about his relationship with her best friend, and then losing her mother, um, it, it makes sense why she has the kind of motives that she has. So, uh, you know, I I don't see anything wrong with the choices that reneira is making at this point at at least at this stage of the story
2: well if i can uh angelica for you take back i do want to add though i do think it's important for her she can't show the emotions um not to say that she can't you know because they always say women can't do a certain thing or they think you're a certain way when you start acting emotional or doing certain things i don't want to take away her emotions but, um, you know, just I, I just think it's certain things that, you know, not to give away things, but that'll kind of lead to her going into that seat that I'm worried that she's not getting younger, young enough. But I didn't want to make it seem like I was like, hey, girl, don't be emotional right now because I know you just lost your mom there. But toughen up and push through it because they do like to tell you that. But um, yeah, because I do think she is it's definitely things that she's going to feel um, just because, like you said, she's young. They put a lot on like young women in this society. So, um, but yeah, I just want to throw that out there. Cause I don't want to seem like I was trying to bully her. Like, no, you can't, you can't show these emotions right now. Like, you know, cause yeah, she lost her mom, you know. I, I, I didn't take that when you, when you had made those comments about Rhaenyra.
0: Um, I was just saying that like the circumstances that she's had to go through warrants mm-hmm. her actions. just cause yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, she's just dealt with so much and like, yeah, you, and then like her dad actually named her heir. Like she was ready for that position, and she was thinking, "Okay, this is going to actually happen," and then it doesn't. So then she's dealing with that rejection of her father outright lying to her face. That's gonna hurt. That's gonna sting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 it does yeah,
1: yeah. Or at least that's her perception based on how everyone's acting about her being heir apparent. So, and and it shows when they arrive at the Kingswood, they're greeted by the court. And they're, they're clapping it up for baby Aegon. They're excited to see him. And then Rhaenyra is pretty much ignored. She's still in the wheelhouse just sitting there listening to them praise her little brother. So it's not a good feeling. Um, So they enter. She enters into this great tent. That's where they're kind of doing all the celebrating. She's observing. And she listens to the ladies of the court discuss the war. And there's another character introduced that he's, he's looking a little shysty. Um, his name is Lord Larry Strong. He's played by Matthew Needham, and he is the son of Lord Lionel Strong. Um, he has a club foot, and he asked to join the ladies because he's like, you know, clearly I'm not built for hunting. Um, But I'm thinking he's there to gather some intel. Like, he's a little nosy Nancy, but... We'll see as as time goes on. So one of the ladies says her husband has told her that, you know, taming the stepstones was has never been something that's a good idea. It's not something that people have been able to maintain for long because it's an inhospitable place. It's suitable only for savages. And then another older woman, I believe she is lady, a lady, her name is I don't know her first name, but she's a Lannister, so we'll just call her Lady Lannister. Um, asked Rhaenyra for her opinion, because, you know, her uncle, after all, is the one that's leading the war. And Rhaenyra was like, well, I've never been to the Stepstones, and I haven't talked to Damon in years. And then Lady Lannister was like, since she supplanted him as heir. And I was like, oop. And then Alicent, you know, she's always trying to smooth things over. She says, well, you know, Damon made his choices, and Rhaenyra was more suited to the role. Um, and then Lady Lannister agrees, you know, Damon made a mess and the king needs to clean it up. He needs to send a fleet. He needs to send men. They need to clear out the triarchy from the stepstones. And so Rhaenyra was like, for what? You know, we're not at war. And then another lady, her name is Lady Redwine, was like, no, we got dragged into this war by Corlys and Damon, whether your dad admit admitted it or not. And then Rainier claps back and she's like, well, how will you help the realm? By eating cake? And I was like, oop, bloop, conk anyways <laughs> so you know uh, Rairo a little prickly uh, and she's she's definitely a teenager at this point so she leaves the tent clearly the same for her and she's greeted by Jason Lannister very familiar face he looks just like Tylen, he's actually his twin also played by Jefferson Hall and fun fact I don't do you guys recognize Jefferson at all? Does his face look familiar okay. Okay. Well he actually was in Game of Thrones. I think he's one of the only actors to be in both series. Um he played a a Knight of the Veil. Vale. He's killed off pretty early. He was killed in the King's Tourney. I think the the Mountain took him out. So he was Yeah. He was on the show before. I was like, I know I've seen that face somewhere. Um so, anyways, so at this point he's playing Twins Tylen and Jason Lannister. Um, so he asked, Jason asks. Uh, Rhaenyra, does she remember her second birthday being this grand? And she's like, I don't remember my second birthday, and neither will Aegon. Then he gives her this sweet wine from Casterly Rock and tells her about his home. Like he's trying to like talk her, you know, talk himself up. He's like, you know, I have this thing about dragons. I would love to build a dragon pit, you know, at my home in Casterly Rock. And she's like, Why would you want to build a dragon pit? And he's like, You know, I would do anything for my queen, and you know, maybe my future wife. And Rhaenyra was like thanks for the wine and like dips she's pissed so she goes back to the tent and she starts yelling at her dad like how dare you treat me like cattle like some prize and he's like well i'm buried in requests you know for your hand of marriage you're going to get married and she's like i am not getting married jason is arrogant he's like well you're going to marry somebody so they're going back and forth mind you they're like people all around them and he's like You know, you think you're above duty. I'm not even above duty. You're going to marry somebody. And Otto interrupts and is like, a white stag has been spotted close by. And so Rhaenyra kind of takes off. And her boo, Kristen Cole, well, we don't know if he's her boo yet. But her boo, Kristen Cole, takes off after her. He, like, rides her down. And he asks her, like, what happened? And she's, like, basically pissed off about Jason Lannister's proposal. And then Kristen's like, you want me to kill him? And she laughs and is like, okay, we need to get back. And she's like, no, I, I, it's a nice day. We should explore the woods. So I, I thought, you know, that was nice of them. She even asked him if you have, if he's ever been betrothed, be bethr- That is a hard word. Betrothed. Betrothed. Oh, sorry. Cause the, the, Okay, betrothed, and he says he wasn't high-born enough to really have a form of betrothal. Um, He could have married a common girl, and then Rhaenyra is kind of jealous about the fact that up until he became a member of the Kingsguard, he could choose his own life, and he's like, anyone else would have gladly switched with you, and she's like, you know, I'm nothing, and he's like, you're not nothing, you know, were it not for you, I wouldn't be a member of the Kingsguard, I owe everything I have to you, so I like how he calmed her down. Um, How do you guys... Feel from not just her exchange with Kristen, but
0: also her exchange with Jason Lannister. Oh, there's a lot to unpack because <laughs> we got we got to go back to the previous scene with um, the women. And uh, oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Let's it up. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, first of all, yes, very prickly being a teenager. I really like that moment between uh, the Lannister women. And yeah, Lord, Larry Strong. I'm like, bruh. You're sitting here with these women, and you know you say you got this uh, club foot or whatever, this lame foot, and I'm like, mm, yeah, something some, some ain't right. So, um, and you can actually see, like, they, uh, if you look at him during the scene, uh, the way he darts his eye back and forth, his eyes, it, it looks sus. So I thought that He's was shifty. He's shifty very brother. shifty, very shifty. So mm-hmm. that that was. That was a tell. That was a tell, um, <laughs> and um, and yeah. Going back to the scene with Rhaenyra and and Jason, I mean, what is it about this show about fathers pimping out their daughters? There's just something <laughs> about that's like the theme, the motif of this whole series. Um, good for Rhaenyra, you know, standing up for herself and like you know speaking out about the way her father is doing this because she's not about this business right now her father doesn't even know what he wants so um just tell it like it is and plus jason lannister just kind of seems i don't know he seems like a bit of a schmuck to me like yeah. really like you know the, there's something about them lannisters man they're just they're just some shady folks um except Tyrion. it and, and- and Thailand don't seem that bad either. Yeah, well, I don't, yeah, I can't, I, I don't have a good read on him yet because we, we don't really <laughs> know much yet. But yeah, but so far, Jason is definitely turning me off. So yeah, and then with Renira and and Kristen, I I just, I'm glad that he sort of came to her aid in that moment because she, she needed some saving. I mean, she's dealing with this party. She's all upset about that. She's dealing with Allison commanding her to go into you know the the get together after she's in the godswood just trying to have some peace and quiet so she's dealing with that then she finds out that you know her dad is wanting to pimp her out to Jason Lannister so she's just upset on so many levels and then we've got Kristen here the hotness that is Sir Kristen Cole who I feel like there is some chemistry I really do to kind of help um make her feel a little bit at ease after dealing with all of these moments so um I'm glad that that at least happened for her
1: uh Ryan any any thoughts for the Jason and Kristen exchanges
2: oh yeah yeah uh you gotta watch them Lannisters yeah I'm agree with Jamie on that you gotta watch them because it's a few of them that's good in there but for the most part you gotta keep your eye on them like when he rolled up like he had the game I was like oh god she ain't got time for it but I was glad, I was glad she kind of like swerved, like side-turned it. I was like, girl, do not do it. Because he already looked like he had like some things on his mind. And I don't really like the way he was talking to her. Like some of the some of the wording was kind of problematic to me. I was like, because he was trying to act like he got big game. And then I'm like, yeah, she's going to be up in a tower, like having baby after baby. And he going to like, you know, conveniently forget she's supposed to be the heir to the throne. So I was like, yeah, girl, don't do it. I'm glad she sidestepped that one. Um, and then like Lord, uh, Larry Strong, he reminds me, I'm not going to say anything cause you, we can't, like, I know we get the stuff in advance, so I'm not going to spoil anything, but he gives me little finger vibes. Yeah. Like he's the, he's the one for me. So, you know, every, the listeners will find out that later, but he gives me that. So I'm, that's all I'm going to say about him. But yeah, dude is definitely shifty.
0: He, he gives me various vibes actually, he's but, really. but not, not as like intelligent honorable or honorable <laughs> Ooh, yeah not not as witty you know as quick-witted as Maris mm-hmm. was but yeah that's that's the vibes i'm getting from him
1: yeah because he's collecting intel so he's almost like a little makeshift master of whispers yeah yeah i don't
2: trust the guy he's definitely shifty like when you start hanging around because you know the women gonna sit there and gossip so i was like yeah he know what he doing he know what he doing you know they gonna give him all the tea and everything like that but um, but yeah, shout out to Rhaenyra's shade in that moment. I appreciated it. It was very entertaining in that moment with all the ladies sitting around. Um, yeah. I mean, and you know, we got to shout out to, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out why you don't get the marriage proposals from like a Kristen, like when she's in the, like, why is that not the marriage proposal? Why is it like Jason and you got serious coming out? Like Jamie pointed out, like why is he not the marriage proposal? The kind of guy that you get. Um, but. Book- Kristen can't
1: marry her because he's a member of the Kingsguard and they're they're almost like the the men of the watch they can't have kids they can't get married they're sworn to their roles though
2: yeah yeah technically but I'm talking about as far as like him being cute I don't understand (laughs) I don't yeah like I don't understand why these guys it'd be like the good and you'd be like why is this dude stepping to me right now and this is the guy I gotta marry but you don't get the other I like it it's just you don't get the colds of the world it's just like it's just the not the cuteness factor for me that i just don't get i feel you on that Chicago. i feel you so hard on that
0: ryan i'm like jason ain't even fine like at least Viserys right. oh, come
2: Jesus. through with somebody
0: that actually looks good okay come on now yeah.
2: i'm like where's all the farm brothers at like when you need somebody when you need a key like somebody to marry it's just like the struggle is real get get like, a man
0: from dorn you know them dornishmen i'm gonna say I'm,
2: yeah something <laughs> get I'm like, yes yes yeah, something because i just sorry to say but you know i Dress, but it's just it's just not cute at all man i was like geez.
1: yeah they say like the most handsome men like around my way is like oh we got get you a man from dc so i was like get you a man from dorn <laughs> you know kristen is, is from dorn too he's a little cutie pie so yeah, yeah. that's mm-hmm. why i said that them dornish men they look uh, good <laughs> <laughs> and oberon you know he was easy on the eyes too so well, yeah. All right, well let's let's stop uh, Thurston over Kristen. Um, the king, So <laughs> we may we might have to dedicate a podcast just to him. Um. So anyway, it's the king and his hunting party. They they track they're tracking the stag, and you know the white stag. Before the Targaryens came with their dragons, they were the symbol of royalty. Um. So Otto says if you know if they catch this white stag, then that's a sign that the gods really favor him. Um, so, you know, they're tracking it, they kind of break for the day, so they're back at the Great Ten, Viserys is drinking a lot, Viserys is drinking a lot, like, to the point that his wife is looking pretty concerned, like, he's just, like, wine, he is, he's, he's, he's pretty much on Cersei's level at this point, just always with a glass of wine in hand, um, so Jason was also, Shifty, uh, takes his opportunity to gift him with a ceremonial spear, takes this opportunity to talk about himself some more. And he's like, you know, joining our houses would offer strength to, to your house. And Viserys is like, since when did the Targaryens need strength? And then Jason, he's a he's little smart one. He was like, well, if someone were to offer you more dragons, wouldn't you take it? And then Viserys is like, well, do you have any dragons? And he's just like, ha ha ha. Um, but he's just like, yeah, if Rhaenyra joins me at Casterly Rock, you know, it would be a suitable compensation for her loss in station. Um, and Viserys is like, what do you mean her loss in station? He's like, well, you have Aegon now. Aren't you going to name him Aer? That's what we assume. And he was like, Uh, No. Rayner is my heir. I didn't pick her for some dumb reason, and you and your men would do well to accept that. So Jason's just like, gotcha. And then Sirius is like, thanks for the gift, and then ask for more wine. So then Otto shows up and asks Viserys, you know, what he makes of Jason's proposal. And I thought this line was pretty funny. He says, that man's pride has pride. And I was like, that's funny. Um, so Viserys isn't one to order Rhaenyra into a marriage he wants her to have a happy marriage so Otto was like okay well you know let's kind of keep these suitors at bay I think there's a better match for her so uh, Jason excuse me uh, Viserys is like well who and he says she should marry Aegon now Viserys is like hold up he's not even disgusted at the fact that they're offering up her brother for a marriage because that's like the Targaryen way but he's like he's only two he's like look I'm just saying it's a good look. And honestly, at this point, the series is over. He's sick of the politicking. He wants nothing to do more to do with this conversation. He just wants to drink. <laughs> so Otto takes his leave. Lionel pulls up. Lionel is the father of uh what's the guy's name? Mr. Shifty. Lyris. Yeah, Lyris. Um, and he's just like, "Hey, how you doing?" The king is like, "Let me guess, you want you want Rhaenyra to marry your son, Sir Harwin um, Strong? They call him Breakbones. That's that's basically Larry's older brother." Um, and Lionel's like, "I'm flattered, but no, I actually want you to marry. I want you to marry her to Lannor." Lenor is the son of Corlys Velaryon and Rhaenys Velaryon the, for the same reason that I wanted you to marry Laina. um, You know, he's a pure Velaryon blood. He's Rhaenys' son, so you guys share the same blood. You're, you know, uniting your houses would basically wrong right any wrongs perceived by Corlys because, you know, at this point, Corlys's daughter's been overlooked. His wife's been overlooked. So choosing his son to marry the next heir apparent, I mean, that's a good look. Um, so the king considers it. Um, so I'm going to stop it there. You know, what did you guys think about that interaction? Yeah,
0: first of all, when <laughs> the scene with Otto and Viserys, when Otto mm-hmm. suggests that Rha- Rhaenyra should marry Aegon, that scene was hilarious to me. <laughs> I, I, I think it was Paddy Con- Considine's reaction, which, you know, he's amazing in this role, but his reaction to Otto's face was just... It was just so <laughs> fantastic, and yeah, I just like the fact that Otto would even make that suggestion like, bro, you are really desperate. you are so <laughs> desperate right now a two year old really, so that was that was a very that was a new low for Otto. I'm like i I don't even know how how to i mean, obviously we're comparing him now to little finger, but <sighs> he, he's a very interesting character so far. Cause it seems like ethics and morals are just out the window with this guy when it comes to politicking. Um, so that, that was a really weird scene. Um, and then as far as, you know, this, this Lionel guy, I, he, he seems like he's a little bit more together and mm-hmm. he's a little bit more structured in his, approach to politics and not as desperate as Otto and willing to pull all of these different uh strings or whatever to to get to uh a means to an end so I I think his proposal makes better sense (laughs) definitely than Otto's so it it, I I think that this is a, a more measured response to a problem that Viserys has, as opposed to what Otto's doing. So it'll be interesting to see how um, that plays out with Lionel. But yeah, I don't know why that that scene was just funny to me. <laughs> and then they cut to the shot of the baby, and he's looking at the baby like like he's two. He's two. two. I mean, really two.
1: He's two. Um, I mean, I will say. Her marrying Agon Aegon, let Aegon was like twelve, uh, And now Let's let's shoot for Lena. Um, that would kind of solve a lot of the issues
2: because they could be co-rulers, you know. Uh, but I, I, yeah, he's two, so yeah, yeah, they gotta they gotta raise that marriage limit to at least like you All know right. let him get. I mean, seventeen is probably still alive. <laughs> it's like, it's like you, you let's let him form sentences and stuff first. Like Jesus, this is like this already the husband. Like you know, give him a minute. Like he over there playing with little baby dragons and stuff. It's like come on now, but you know. They, but, but also I just want to give a shout out to to Lionel. He is, he is the dude. Like I love when he come on the scene because he always the person that's giving you like the clarity and he going to spell it out for you. Like this is what needs to happen. Now Viserys don't be paying attention because it's Viserys, but he's, I feel like he's always laying out the plan. Like this is how you could do this and you know, like the logical plan of it all. But yeah, you know, Viserys not listening, but I just want to give him a shout out because I feel like he brings the logic to the situation.
1: Yes. He, he's very even-keel. He, 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 he thinks before he speaks, and mm. um, I don't think he has ulterior motives on, like, the rest of his small council. Um, so, yeah. So, Alicent, she checks in on her boo, her king. He's in front of the Great Bonfire, and Viserys, you know says he named you know obviously he's feeling the weight of the fact that he named Rhaenyra heir he's now no, he now knows that he get, he's getting pressure for Aegon to take her place so he you know he says he named her heir to protect the all from Daemon at some at one point they called Rhaenyra the realm's delight um and you know there many of his kind of dragon riders but very few are actual dreamers so like the power of prophecy the power of dreams to him is greater than the power of dragons um, and when Rhaenyra was a baby, he had a dream of a male heir wearing a conqueror's crown. And this is obsession. Obsession is what led to the death of Aemon. He takes responsibility for it. And he thought, you know, naming Rhaenyra, her last child, would set things right. And now he has this male heir. He never thought he was going to get remarried. He never thought he would have a son. And now here it is. It's like, what if everything that he's thought about and dreamed about, what if it was all wrong? So you see in this scene, like, he's really... Doubting himself and really kind of f- like seeing the consequences of his actions. Um, your guys' thoughts on that little scene
0: there. Yeah, the character development on this show is like top notch. It really is. Mm-hmm. And like you really get a sense of why the series is the way he is. And, and this was just an, a nice sort of layer to this onion that we're peeling into Viserys character and obviously this answers what happened in the very first episode why he made that decision and and he's explaining that here and it it also kind of goes to you know why he is the way he is what when it comes to Rhaenyra and just overall his whole mannerisms as a king I guess uh, I don't know how to articulate it properly, but it just seems like, you know, with him coming down to making firm choices and decisions and asserting executive power, that it's just something that he's challenged by and that he relies on hope and dreams and wishes and you can't do that dude like I mean it you know obviously that's something that we probably can look at you know in some respects but at the end of the day reality sets in and you really have to think of what matters at the end of the day and um so yeah this this was an eye-opening moment into uh Viserys character
2: I think it's interesting how his emotions that he leaves with a lot, too, which I think is interesting, um, like, to his layers. Like, James talked about the different layers they pull back for each of these characters um, that you could kind of see, like, now, you know, that he's driven by that, like, you know, that remorse and the guilt he feels. And, you know, he's sort of wrapped up in that and he's letting other things go, you know, why he's trying to figure out, you know, what to do with Renier, why he made this decision. And he's de- to me, he's definitely one of those those kings that needs like as many council people that are not Otto around him that'll help him make like smart. You know, they have his. You know, they have the the um the mantles like best interest and in heart or the or the the um to you know not so much like play off of their strengths or who can they marry and how's it gonna help my house. But somebody like, you know, like a Lionel right now, you know, Lionel hasn't done anything sketchy yet or whatever. But, you know, somebody that's going to give him like the sound advice that he kind of follow because he kind of needs to get like a little bit of advice over here, a little bit of advice over here. He's like, you hope he makes the right decision, but he's not doing on his own because he's too just like caught up in whatever, you know, emotion, you know, him trying to be a good dad. You know, it does seem like it's very important to him, you know, as it should be. That's one aspect to him of being a dad, being a father. So it seems like that's usually like his forefront thing, his go-to at the at the front. So, yeah. And you can tell too why he's like that. I feel like he's just like that emotional eater drinker cuz that's his way of like getting all of that stuff out um cuz yeah, he goes hard at the buffet. I'm just saying. Whatever it's like, whatever's up to stuff, so. I don't know. He's 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 interesting. I will give him that. He's interesting. He's an interesting king. Yeah.
1: I mean, to your point in in the book, um he, towards the later years of his life, he kind of eats himself into a stirper. He's like a a big guy by the end of of his life so yeah kind of mm-hmm. like kind of mirrors um baratheon henry the oh, eighth oh yeah VIII. and and, and runley brath, i mean it's all okay. based on yeah, like yeah. the tutors but yeah definitely marion um not runley Baratheon, robert baratheon mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. king henry and all them good guys um so <laughs> good in guys the woods, you know, oh, yeah i mean i use that loosely um <laughs> In the woods, um, you know, warm by a fire, Kristen Cole um asked Rhaenyra if they could return back to camp. Rhaenyra's like, eh, I prefer it out here. Let's just stay a bit longer. Um, And then she asked him, like, do you ever think the realm will accept me as queen? And he tells her they have no choice but to accept her. And so, like, out of nowhere, while they're having this sweet little moment, a wild boar attacks and... If we know anything from Robert Baratheon being in the Kingswood, them boars ain't no joke. So a wild boar attacks, knocks over Kristen, and then attacks Rhaenyra, who holds it off, and then Chris- Christian stabs it in the side. And then it does, like, like the horror flicks where, like, the killer comes back. It leaps back up, and Rhaenyra stabs it over and over and over. Like, ah! You can just see all the blood, like, covering her, her face. So I was like, oh, she's clearly taking out her anger on that poor boar. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, that was interesting. So, you know, so while they're kind of having their moment that evening, the next day, you know, the king and his people are back on the hunt. They do find a great stag. It's not the white stag though, but it's it's a big boy. So they decide to take it down. The series doesn't seem to be too happy about killing it, you know, he's kind of hesitant. So he's using the spear that Jason gave him, but he's still a little hesitant, so he kind of he stabs it. And it doesn't die. (laughs) So, so here I was like, you know, go a little bit to the left, you know, more towards the heart. And then the second strike kills the stag. But then it cries out. And just like Rhaenyra said, like a child. and You're just like, ooh, this is cringy. And everyone's cheering. And Viserys doesn't seem too pleased with what he's done. But, I mean, (laughs) that's the nature of the beast, I guess. So, on horseback overlooking a ridge while all this is happening, the white stag actually appears before Rhaenyra and Kristen So Kristen goes to reach for a sword and Rhaenyra tells him no. And I was taken aback by this scene because, you know, Otto was saying how the white stag meant good fortune and it was a good omen that the gods are favoring them. Well, the white stag didn't choose Viserys and Aegon. The white stag chose Rhaenyra. Um, So I'll stop there for you guys to give your thoughts on that scene and that symbolism.
2: I was going to say, I would have just been gone, like just period in the scene. I don't know why they were still sitting there when it was coming in. I was just like, yeah, I would have been done. But to me, after she killed it and she was kind of walking around with like the blood, because obviously it's like, you don't have anything out there you're going to wash it off with. But I was kind of thinking like, as she had that blood on her going back to like the camp and everything like that, I kind of thought it was symbolic of her like being, a, you know, going out hunting things that they might like think a woman can do. Um, you know, she kind of gives them like something else to kind of think about like, oh, okay okay, this girl got something else to her. Like she got a little bit kind of layers. It's kind of how I took it. But I mean, I guess there's certain ways to do that. Like she came out there her and, you know, Viseria was like, why don't you come hunting with me? And she's like, nah, i pass. I'm not doing that. But, you know, ended up kind of, you know, mistakenly falling into that. So I thought it was kind of symbolism of her doing something that, you know, women aren't known to do. She's the heir. Everybody got questions. And she gets to like walk through the camp like a G with like the boar on the back of like you know the horses and everything so I thought that was kind of symbolic like seeing her do that ride back but I don't know they they probably could have did it in a less like creepy horror way like Angelica was talking about like I don't think it had to come back to life and all that kind of stuff but you know
0: interesting yeah, yeah. I, was- oh go ahead Angelica
1: yeah I was gonna say it's almost like her dream quest you know like And native or indigenous cultures, they kind of send out their usually young men out to like hunt on their own or even the, the, the Spartans did the same thing. So this was in a way like her way of taking control of her destiny and showing her worth and showing she's not a little girl anymore. And then, of course, it didn't help. It also helped to kind of get her frustration out on stabbing the hell out of that wild boar so that's that's probably what i took away from the scene and plus it also kind of circled back to like robert baratheon's death where a wild boar took him out in
0: those same woods so you know it kind of all came back back, maybe she's wanting to kill the realm or something like i i feel like there's got to be some sort of metaphor for what the boar means and her killing it so the boar represents something so yeah yeah maybe
1: doubts her doubts her fearing that she's going to be replaced Mm.
0: Uh, yeah yeah okay okay no that's good um so yeah, I, I think that that was a very intense scene. I think also Peta or we're going to be seeing, seeing some tweets from Peta on the stag scene because <laughs> that's <They're> that, CGI. <laughs> they're not real animals. Not even real. But, <laughs> I, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna say something. Uh, by the way, I am not a fan of Peta, but uh, they you know they're 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 going to be in their feelings just because of the way the scene was with it crying out and mm-hmm. you know yeah, being yeah, tortured yeah. and in pain and stuff. But yeah, I I loved seeing that moment of symbolism between the brown stag and the white stag to represent that, look, the white stag, the good omen is on Rhaenyra and Rhaenyra really is meant to be the heir and not, uh, and not Aegon. So, you know, there we go. The writing is on the wall. So that was, that was a great moment.
1: Exactly. And you know, it's safe to say that the men at camp were impressed. Like you said, uh, Ryan, when he you know, she rolled in with the boar in tow. And then um, we, we get to see Sir Harwin strong. Um, he's very impressed and he has a bigger role to play later in the series. So I was like, okay, that could be that could be a spark. He was kind of cute. Not like his brother.
2: He was like, okay, I see you. He was like, I see you. He okay. had his little
1: man bun. I was feeling it. I was like, okay. I mean, she didn't notice. I think she like, <laughs> looked at him and just kept him moving. But he definitely was like, okay, girl, I see you. Um, so so, anyways, you know, the, festiv- the festivities are over. They all head back home, head back to the Red Keep. Ado checks in on Allison. And he's like, you know, how was everything? How was my grandson? Oh, he's so loved. You know, he's the future of the realm. And, you know, the scale of his birthday the celebration really united the men. Um, and he fears that if Rhaenyra steps over Aegon to ascend the throne, the realm is going to te- tear itself apart. And Alicent's like, look, I'm a mom. Of course I want my son to be king. But, you know, I support Al- You know, I support Rhaenyra's birthright. I support her claim. Um, and Otto tells her, like, well, Aegon really is a rightful heir. And Allison says, well, you you know, he tells, I'm sorry, he basically tells, he tells her the same thing that Holbert told him, like as his wife, it's your job to make your husband see that Aegon is best. So, she does go to talk to Viserys, um, she doesn't really get to say what she wants to say, I'm, I'm assuming she went there to talk to him about Aegon, um, they discuss Rhaenyra's marriages marriage proposals and Allison's like you know I really think it's best that Rhaenyra doesn't feel like it's something she's forced into she should choose to want to marry and then she notices a letter from Corlys's brother Vayman Valarian, who's played by Will Johnson asking for aid so she encourages her husband to send aid and series echoes Otto's sentiments that aiding Damon and Corlys would make him look weak Um, and you know, we've talked about the fact that Visterius is such a people pleaser and he says it himself. He fears he's doomed to anger someone and pleasing another for the rest of his life. So Allison poses the question, you know, what's better for the realm? If the crab feeder thrives or if he's vanquished? So, you know, she's a good wife. She has influence over him. So he takes her advice. Uh, he sends a messenger to Damon and, while he's doing this, um, Braineries picks up on that and she's just like, you know, oh, we wow. you know you're sending things to I think it was Bloodstone. And he's like, yep, I'm going to help out Damon. And she's like, well, did Damon ask for help? And he's just like, he'd rather die than ask for my help. But I'm going to do the right thing. Do you think I made the, the right decision? And she's like, oh, my opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, you guys tell me that all the time. And he gets on her. He's like, oh, Yo, you're just as bad as Damon. Like, he's a thorn in my side. Do you have to be just as difficult as him? And she's like, I'm difficult because I know you're going to replace me as heir and you're going to marry me off. And he says in that moment, he's like, you're misunderstanding me. I don't want to replace you, but I do want you to have, be married and have a family. And she's like, I had a family. And he's just like, no, a family of your own. So he compromises with her and he agrees to let her choose her husband and vows on her mother's memory that she will not be supplanted as heir. So I'll, I'll stop there for you guys.
2: Yeah, um, I, I do, I kind of appreciate their scenes where they have to kind of like, it's almost like a, ch- a check-in or like a check-you kind of moment between Rhaenyra and Viserys, like all the time, where he's kind of like, okay, so these are the things you have to do, but then he realizes, look, I'm not going to force her into anything, because Renara and she's going to do what she's got to do, so um, I do, I would give, like, Alicent, like, a little minuscule brownie point, because she was like, let Renara choose you know who she wants to marry so at least she has Viserys's ear in that way um like you said Angelica where she'll he'll kind of like he'll take her advice and everything like that but I don't know it's and then too back it's again to like Viserys just not being I don't know just not thinking about the bigger picture all the time because it's like why is Allison suggesting these things like so you ain't thinking that like you need to go send aid to like you know how this this is the bigger picture of the kingdom and, um, you know, just trying to feel out like, like knowing his daughter cause it's like, dude, you gotta think about this kind of stuff. Like let her pick her own, um, you know, husband, if this is the path that you, you know, she must go down. So yeah, I like all those kind of scenes where it's like the two of them in the room and they kind of like, it's like a reality check. It's like, okay, so this is who she is. This is what you need to do. So I love those moments between both of them. So yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was well played between them. All
0: right, uh, Jamie, any thoughts? Yeah, not much to add here. I just, you know, Viserys is a man that just, again, he just can't make a damn decision. And <laughs> good good that we at least have Alicent that has some sort of good sense about this situation to tell mm-hmm. him what to do. And uh, it's good that also he listens to his wife because there's a lot of kings that don't listen to their wives. Uh, so um, it's interesting and, and um, pretty compelling to see that King Viserys is the kind of man that actually um, allows his queen to have some say in, in some of the executive decisions that he makes. But um, again, I'm not giving him a whole lot of credit because he takes his advice from anybody because <laughs> he can't make a decision on his own. So a decision. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and it, it it seems like Allison, it's
1: very Team Rhaenyra, even if Rhaenyra is not Team Allison. She wants the best for her, so you know she leads the series in the right direction of kind of giving Rhaenyra back some of her own choices. So, I did appreciate that. Um, so we head into the the last few minutes of this episode, pretty action packed, not a lot of words, but I, I I was feeling this this last few minutes of the episode, so. At this point, Corlys is, you know, back on the Stepstones. He's convening over a war council. Um, Lenar is there. He's now played by Theo Nate, um, And Lenar's kind of like, this is pointless. You know, the crab feeder, it's hiding his men in these caves, the dragons aren't that effective. We need someone to bait the crab feeder and draw him out. So Vaman says they're doomed. Like no one's going to stop up to do it. It's a suicide mission. So later, <laughs> later calls him the master of complaints, which I thought was funny. And, you know, says Damon could be the one to carry out this mission. So like on cue, Damon arrives in the back of Caraxes. And I love how they're like, what they say, they're like dragon approaching, <laughs> like almost like, a plane approaching, like dragons. Um, so Damon, you know, shows up to the War Council. A messenger arrives from Viserys. He hands the this parchment to Damon. Damon reads the message and beats the crap out of the messenger. Like, <laughs> clearly he's not happy about what was said. Um, so Damon rows to shore, and then there's a voiceover of Viserys' message, and he's basically saying, like, brother you know, despite our differences, I'm supporting you, I'm going to send aid, I'm sending ships, I'm sending men, and Damon ain't going for that, so he goes on this one-man solo mission to draw out the crab feeder, he lands on the shore, you know, he's waving this white flag, the crab feeder comes out, he sends a few men out to, like, I guess, take Damon in, Damon unsheathes his sword, he, like, presents it before the the crab feeder's men, but it's a trick, And he disarms the guy. He cuts him down. Then there's like, there's archers basically on the rig that were watching this whole time. They start to release their arrows. So then the crab feeder sends more men. So at this point, Damon is dodging arrows and he's killing man after man after man after man. Like they said that Damon's one of the greatest fighters of his time. Clearly. (laughs) He's like Bruce Lee out there. He's just taking people out left and right. Um, But eventually he does take an arrow to the chest. And while he gets, you know, lit up with arrows, someone, like, slices his legs. So he takes cover. While he's taking cover, the crowd feeder sends out even more men. So at this point, he's surrounded. And we think, like, ooh, this might be the end for our boy because this is Game of Thrones. We know how it goes. Like, your, 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 your leads could still die. Um, but... You know, Corlys arrives with his army in tow and he's pretty badass with his battle axe just taking out people left and right. And then Lenor, he's a dragon rider, so he's riding sea smoke and he's raining fire down on these soldiers. He's, he takes out the archers on the ridge. So at this point, the crab feeder knows he's done for. He retreats back into the caves and Damon gives chase because at this point, sea smoke has also taken out all the guys that were surrounding him. Um, So the next we see of Damon, he's dragging the body of (laughs) of the crab feeder and actually like what's left of his body. He like sliced the dude in half. He brings him to shore and like his intestines are sticking out. And, you know, that's the end of the crab (laughs) feeder. And then Damon kind of stares off blankly into the distance. You know, the rest of the army's victorious. Hooray. They finally won this war. Um, and I enjoyed it, although I will say before I give you guys the floor, I was kind of sad that the crab feeder met his end so quickly and we didn't get really more background on him or more of his origin story. He was just kind of like this like video game, big bad, and they took him out. So I was a little disappointing in that, but I still love the scene. Uh, so what did you guys think of that last climactic ending?
0: Okay, so um I thought that you first of all, you had to leave logic out of the window to appreciate this scene because if you <laughs> if you did have logic in your brain while watching it, you'll be thoroughly disappointed. The the fact that Damon was able to get through this alive just it blows my mind. I mean, there were just all of these soldiers with arrows that were being you know pointed at him and and being targeted at him and and the fact that he he is by himself (laughs) he was able to survive that was just wild to me so i was like all right this is very this is a very fantasy moment that we're experiencing (laughs) so i am i'm not going to take this literal and i i'll ignore that uh and i i agree with you angelica about the crab feeder one thing I will add to that is I would have liked to have seen the confrontation, the fact that we don't really ever see him have that fight with the crab feeder and that it was off camera when he defeated him. I don't know. It sort of took the drama out of this, Yeah, you know, this antagonism that was building up in the last really three episodes, I guess, between the crab feeder and Damon and, and, all, and everything else. So, yeah, I that that was a little disappointing. But um, but yeah, I was just like, really? You know, <laughs> archers got their arrows out and all of these men <laughs> and Damon got through all of that. Um, all
1: right. I'll let y'all get yeah, away I- with that. I'm sorry. And I will say maybe had they had had they shot him fighting the crab feeder, maybe the crab feeder would have like monologued and said like the reason why he's doing all this. And then Damon and like ends up cutting it in half. Like it just would have brought a little bit more depth to this kind of one note character. Um, So that's really my only critique of the show was how they handled the crab feeder um
2: brian how did you feel uh first of all Day, we do not shoot the messenger okay so he didn't have to do that he didn't have to take him out <laughs> like that he when he beat up the messenger yeah he could just let him go um but yeah i this like i was saying this is my only time i i enjoyed this scene because this would be my only time i probably give damon some points because you know he we, we already know how his world gonna roll so you know he gonna be acting a hot mess probably as we, as we continue, but yeah, I, um, yeah, you have to fully, you got to sink into the world of like, he just gets to be a badass for a moment because he talks a lot of crap. So it's like the first instance where he can kind of like back it up is, um, you know, you got to give him points for that. Cause it's like, if you're going, if you're going to run the mouth like he runs his mouth, you got to be able to fight and, and take on what you got to take on. Cause you know, they were looking for somebody and they like, so what are we going to do here? Cause we're still in this war. We run out of supplies. So who's going to go out and do this? I be, I didn't think it was going to be David, but then I was surprised that he went out there and I thought he was really waving a white flag. Cause you don't think this from David. you think he's just a bunch of like talk and you don't think he really going to go after this. So I thought that was interesting how they kind of worked that whole scene up. And, um, you know, like Jamie said, like there was a lot of swords. Like when he took that one stab, it was like, nah, stop bro. Cause if you stop, like one, just like one arrow that come to the side of the head, you probably a goner. And actually when he took the three of them, I was like, now hold up. Cause I thought it was going to be some more confrontation going down in the season. Cause when I saw like all three arrows hit him, I was like, okay, something get ready to go down. Cause he like bit down, taking one out of his leg and then he had to crawl under the shelter and everything. And so, yeah, I, I think, I thought he was going to be a goner, but I do like how they kind of went from like him trying to hide out, thinking he was going to end, to like Corliss getting brought in, you know, with his, with his family with the Valerians backing him up and getting to see, um, you know, see Smoke and all that kind of stuff. I thought it was like a real interesting battle scene because they hadn't done too much of that up until the point. It's more been like, okay, let Damon come in with Craxes, light everybody up, and then we're done. So I like how they kind of like showed a little bit of that of that battle there. I, Me personally, I was tired of the crab eater. So I was just like, you no, know, because I was tired of like opening the shows with like the people getting eat up by like just the crabs everywhere. And I was like, you know, you can't eat before you watch like these these episodes. Like you can't eat when you open them up. Cause it's just like, yeah, so I don't know. I, I wasn't really like, get, I wasn't really feeling him that much. I was just like, um, I guess you do think it, it's Game of Thrones. So I guess you do think it's going to be like more of a battle. You get to see instead of Damon just showing up with like the blood all over his face and you got like the intestines and everything. So I guess you think you're going to see more of that cause you see him running into the cave and then that's pretty much it. But yeah, I was kind of happy to see him go. Cause I was like, I'm tired of the whole like nailing the, the people to the thing and you see the, like the crabs and all that nastiness and stuff on the beach. So yeah, I was kind of ready for him to be done. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think I'm gonna miss him, but you know, shout out to Damon. I'm gonna give him his little two two checks for this one.
1: All right. Yep. So that, that pretty much wraps the episode. Look forward to next week. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll hand it back over to you, Jamie.
0: Yeah, no, that, that was a great episode. Again, I, I, I love the pacing. I love the drama of it all. And, uh, I look forward to seeing what episode four brings us. So thanks for live tweeting with us tonight. It was a lot of fun. Please join us. If you haven't started live tweeting the show with us already, use the hashtag dragons, y'all, and join us next Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be watching the show live, and then right after the show, you get to listen to us talk about it. So until then, we will see you next week. Bye.